Yes. Let's give the Lord a hand for that one, amen? That's big. It's not too often that you get a sermon illustration before you even speak a word of the sermon. Amen? Uh, but you're going to find that that is directly related, so we'll call that confirmation, as my Janet always says, and uh, we'll look forward to seeing how that matches up with the Word of God this morning. You know, there are two things of great value but are very insignificant. There are two things that you and I need to survive, but every day we take them for granted. We either complain because we got too much of one or the other, or we complain because we ain't got enough of one or the other. One of them is hardly seen. If you have too little of it, you can taste the difference in your food. You put too much of it, and it can ruin your food. The other one is visible. In fact, if you don't have it in the dark, you can really hurt yourself. But if it's too early in the morning, you want to turn it off. What are these things? Salt. And light, Miss Wanda. Salt and light. One of them works when it comes in contact with food. The other one works when it's empowered by another source. And so in one of the most well-known parts 
of his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, you are the salt. You are the light. You are the one who comes into contact with others. You are the one who is empowered by another source. Just listen to what the Lord Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 beginning in verse 13. He said, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket. But on a lampstand that it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus began this Sermon on the Mount describing several beatitudes, several traits that he wanted to be found in his followers. Jesus said that his followers will be greatly blessed when they realize that they can't make it without God. He said that his followers will be happy when their own sin breaks their heart because they realize that it breaks God's heart. Jesus said his followers will be blessed when they completely surrender their lives to God, when they hunger for more of God. Jesus said his followers will be blessed when they extend forgiveness to others because they realize that God has extended forgiveness to them. Jesus said his followers will be blessed when they realize that God yearns for them to be straight with him. Jesus said his followers will be happy when they desire to be thermostat people that change society rather than thermometer people that reflect society. Jesus said his followers will be blessed when they want to be so close to God that other people don't know what they're going to do with them. Each one of those Beatitudes, friend, is an invitation to you. Each one of those is an invitation for you to see if you are what you really say you are. Each one of those Beatitudes points out if you are really committed or if you just have some superficial knowledge of the truth. You see, there were many in the, the day of the Lord who knew that he was the Messiah. They knew he was the Christ but they never fully committed themselves to serve him and him alone. Now the same may be true of some of us here today. I read that true disciples of Christ affect the world positively by the lives they live. 
disciples of Christ affect the world they live in by the lives they live. So we need to know, what is Jesus calling me to do? As a servant, as a child of God, as a disciple of Christ, what is Jesus calling me to do? Well, you only have two points in your sermon this morning. That's good news, amen? Because you know what that means, right? Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> Poor Brenda. She always wanted to point that out, amen? Here's the first thing that Jesus calls me to do. He calls me to be an influence, Miss Wanda. He calls me to be an influence. You read it there in verse 13. He said, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it, whatever it is, we'll find that out in a second, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. When Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth, the actual translation of you is more like the southern word, y'all. Now, y'all didn't know that Jesus was southern, did you? Amen? But he was saying, y'all, you all, you all are salt of the earth. But what did he mean when he said it? As Jesus was looking out over this small group of ragtag, basically uneducated disciples... He referred to them as the salt of the earth. Now, what you need to know is that that was a really great compliment to be called that. Why was it a compliment? Well, because in that day, salt was an absolute necessity for life. Jesus was saying, you're necessary. You're necessary. But he didn't stop there because salt was also very valuable. Jesus is saying to you this morning, you are valuable. You're valuable to me. You're valuable to my kingdom. You're valuable to my ministry. In fact, that word that we use, salary, comes from the Latin word salarium, which refers to the payment made to Roman soldiers, that payment made in Salt. It's where we get that phrase, are you worth your salt? So I'll ask you this morning, are you? Are you worth your salt this morning? Now according to the Salt Institute, there are over 14,000 uses for salt. I want to share two of them with you this morning. First of all, we know that salt is a preservative. We also know that salt is a seasoning. You see, before refrigeration was available, salt was essential because it hindered the decay of meat. People would, would rub salt into the meat and it hindered that process of decay. In the same way, friend, you as a child of God, you as a Christian, you as a believer, you as a disciple of Christ are called to hinder the moral decay of the world you live in. Your salt. There's no doubt, friend, that Christianity has had a profound effect on the world we live in. But there is this one horrifying new trend in our day. 
Statistics show that the average Christian in the average church is almost indistinguishable from the rest of society. The moral and ethical difference that Jesus Christ should make in our lives, for some reason, is missing. For example, when teens claim to be saved, but they do drugs and they drink alcohol at the same rate as the general teenage population, listen, something's missing. When Christian young people live together without the benefit of marriage, listen, something's missing. When Christian marriages end in divorce at the same rate as society, something's missing. When Christians cheat in business, lie, steal, cheat on their spouses at the same statistical level as the rest of society, something is missing. Friends, if we lose the qualities of Christ-likeness that make us different, if we lose those, those distinct differences, then society around us will no longer have a positive influence. In fact, if we lose those Christ-like qualities, we will actually become a hindrance rather than a preservative. But Jesus also says, yes, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? What is it? You're the salt of the? But if salt loses its flavor, how shall it, the earth, be seasoned? Jesus has placed it up to us to season the earth that we live in. You see, salt changes things. I was visiting with Sandy Hall after her shoulder surgery, and we got off on talking about pinto beans. You know, it always ends up with food with me, don't it? So we got to talking about pinto beans, and I reminisced about a day several years ago when I ventured up to, to Minor Hill and uh, had some pinto beans sliced onion and cornbread at Miss Jones' house. I ain't got over that since. Amen? My point is this. A little salt can change a big old pot of beans. Likewise, it only takes a little salt, friend, to flavor a whole community. It only takes a, a, a dash of salt to flavor a whole neighborhood. It only takes a, just a smidgen. Y'all know what a smidgen is, right? It just takes a smidgen of salt to flavor a whole workplace. It only takes a grain, a grain of salt to flavor a family. It may take a whole shaker of salt to flavor a nation. But someone once said this. If salt never leaves 
the salt shaker, it's of absolute no value. All it is is a decoration on the table. You got to let your salt come out, amen. We totally miss our calling as salt if we fail to season people's lives with the good news of Jesus Christ. We fail and miss our calling as salt if we don't show people how Jesus changes us. I mean, if we as salt don't rub shoulders with people at Dollar General, if we don't rub shoulders, who's going to flavor them? Who's going to do that? Let me tell you who will. The devil will. Jesus was clear when he said, you are the salt. He didn't say that you might be. He didn't say that you ought to be. He didn't say, oh, I sure hope they'll be salt. No, he said, you are. You are the salt of the earth. And the great preacher G. Morgan Campbell said it this way. He said, while Jesus was looking out over the multitudes of his day, he saw the corruption in the nation. Y'all hearing me? He saw the corruption in the nation. He saw the disintegration of society at every single level. He saw, friend, the breakdown of our culture. Jesus saw the spoiled condition of people that were living in that day. But because of his love, he knew that the thing they needed the most was salt. Friend, to be salt, you're not called to be spectacular. To be salt, you're not called to be some sensational person. To be salt, you're not necessarily called to even be successful according to the world's standards. To be salt, Jesus calls you and Jesus calls me to be an influence. An influence for the glory of God in our little corner of the world in our little sphere of influence, he calls you to be an influence. But he doesn't stop there because there in that passage, Jesus also calls us to have a testimony. Look at verse 14. He says, you are the light of the world. A city that's set on a hill cannot be hidden. You ever seen that before? You're looking at a city up on that hill? There ain't no way to hide that light. Amen. Verse 15, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, here it comes, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. It's been reported that 25% of the nation's population claims to be born again. 25%. But that can't be true. It can't be 25% 
because that would mean that 75 million active, church-going, faithful-serving Christians would be in America today. And that ain't true. There's not 75 million. You see, many are led to believe that their faith is a personal thing. And listen, it is very, very personal when Jesus comes into your life. But Jesus says, you're not to keep it to yourself. He says, we're to have a threefold call to shine the light. A threefold responsibility to the light. Number one, you and I are called to receive the light. John described Jesus as the light. He is the light. But it's not enough to be exposed to the light, the light. We must also respond to the light. Listen to what John said in John chapter 3 in verse 19. Jesus said, And the light has come into the world, but men loved darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. You see, we have a choice. People can either come to the light or they can reject the light. John 1.12, we read, that as many received him, Jesus, he gave to them the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. Friend, we're called to receive the light through faith, through belief. But once we've received the light, we don't stop there. No, we are also called to walk in the light. Listen to what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8. He said, you were once darkness, every one of us. We're once darkness, but now you're light. Now you're light. Therefore, walk as children of the light. You know, I read about one man who only had one job. He only had one job, and that was on the railroad tracks to warn upcoming trains that the bridge was out. So what he was supposed to do? He was just supposed to wave his light that the bridge was out. And so, of course, late one night, the train was approaching, and that man started waving his lamp. And he waved it, but the train kept going. And it ended up in the river. Well, in an effort to try to find out what caused the train accident, the man ended up in court. And the judge asked the man, he said, Sir, were you on duty when the train had that accident? The man said, yes, sir. The judge asked him, sir, did you have your lamp with you? And he said, yes, sir. The judge asked him, sir, did you wave your lamp at the train? And he said, yes, sir. And as a result of his answers, he was found not responsible for that train accident. But later on, that man confided in his friend. He said, I sure am glad the judge didn't ask me if my lamp was on. Amen. 
Is your lamp on? Or are you just carrying it around? Is your lamp on? Or are you just toting it around on Sunday morning? Are you warning people of the upcoming danger of a life without Christ? Is your lamp on? Friend, you once were darkness, but now you're light. Shine the light. John says in 1 John chapter 1 that this is the message which we've heard from Jesus and we declare to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. He says if we say that we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness, we lie. If we say we have fellowship with God, but we're walking in darkness, we're a bunch of liars. And if we do not practice the truth, if we walk in the light as God is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And get this, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, I can't speak for you, but I can speak for me. I've got sin in my life that needs to be cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son. But if I'm walking in darkness, according to the Scriptures, can I expect God to cleanse me of that sin? I cannot, because I'm walking in sin. So we are called to receive the light, Jesus, and we're called to walk in the light. But we're also called to reflect that light. To reflect the light, just like the moon reflects the sun in the sky, so too we as Christians are called to reflect the Son of God. Amen? Jesus is the light. We are his followers. We are his children. We are his disciples. We are his servants. And we must reflect the light. But why? Why does Jesus call me to have a testimony? Why does he call me to reflect the light? He said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. And here it comes. Glorify your Father in heaven. Did you know that everything you do ought to be that you glorify your Father in heaven? That everything about your light and its reflection should glorify your Father in heaven. But I also learned something there that apparently we can choose whether or not we let our light shine. Did you catch that? Jesus said, let. That means allow. Permit your light to so shine before men. You see, you can choose not to. Miss Wanda could have ignored that fella and went right on down and picked up her pinto beans. Amen? But she chose not to. We can choose not to, but listen, you can't live a light-filled, effective Christian life in our society unless you stand out a little bit. You can't be a light-filled Christian unless people are kind of noticing you. Why? Because you're different. You're different. They may not like you. They may, in fact, reject you. But they're going to know you're there. 
Amen? So, friend, if your faith, if your light doesn't make a difference in the life you're living, one of two things needs to happen. You need to either get saved or you need to repent and let the light of Jesus Christ shine through your life. It's one or the other. You can't ride the fence. And Jesus said, there's going to be two things that are going to happen when you let your light shine. One, other men are going to see your good works. That's not why you do it, but other men are going to see your good works. That word for good means attractive. Y'all looking pretty attractive this morning. Say amen. Y'all are beautiful. You're looking beautiful this morning. Say amen. You're so lovely. Say amen. amen. You're good. How do we draw people to Christ in a dark and dangerous day? How are we to do it? The same way the early church did it. How is that? The secret was found in the power of a life well lived. Friend, are you living your life well, can men see the good works and the power of your life well lived? See, people need salt and light. They need a salt and light witness. They need influence, but they also need your testimony. They need both. That's why Jesus sent them in back-to-back -back sentences. See, the people that noticed these folks in the early church, they couldn't help but notice that these Christians had something they wanted. The people couldn't help but notice that these Christians, they weren't intimidated by persecution. These people couldn't help but notice that these Christians found something worth living for. And if necessary worth dying for. I made a Facebook post this week and the gist of the post was this. Would you die for your faith? If someone said, I'm going to kill you unless you deny Christ, what would you do? And I wasn't looking for a right or wrong answer. I wasn't looking to judge people. But I was looking to bring that to people's attention because that day could come where you are forced to make a choice. Will you live for Jesus or will you deny Jesus? People need the salt and light witness. They need to see how your relationship seasons your life. They need that. And as a result, people ought to be asking you, why is she like that? Why is he like that? Why does he go to church every Sunday morning? Why does he have to talk about Jesus in every sentence? Why does she always have to be doing the right thing? Why is she so right-minded? People ought to ask that about you. Why are they like that? Now, there's a second thing that happens when you shine your light. And that is, according to Jesus, people will give God the glory. 
Did you notice that in verse 16, that word your is mentioned three times. Your light, your good works, your Father in heaven. Everything you do ought to be for the glory of your Father in heaven. When you let your light so shine before men, they give God the glory. Y'all pick that up? When you do what you're supposed to do, they will give God the glory. So what begins on earth ends up in heaven. That's how much power your testimony has. You actually have the power to point people to God. You actually have the power to point people to an eternal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. You got that power. Are you an influence? Are you using your testimony? Friend, never before in the course of history has it been so important for you and for me to reflect Jesus Christ each and every day. Never before has it been so important for us to be letting other people see the glory of God. In the words we speak, the attitudes we have, and the way we live. Never before. So today, the time has come. The time has come for you and for me to be salt of the earth. Today, the time has come for you and for me to be the light of the earth. Today, the time has come for you and for me to shine forth the glory of God. During this decision time, God will ask you to analyze yourself. And he will ask you, what decisions do I need to make so that I can be salt, so I can be light, and so I can shine forth the glory of God? Have you been an influence, friend? Have you been using your testimony? Everybody's got one. Say Amen. We all got one. The problem is we get a testimony and then what do we do? We put it up on the shelf. We don't use it. So, well, I didn't know I could use it. Well, you've heard it more than one time from this pulpit that we're offering you opportunities to tell your story, your redemption story. And it's come straight as a command from Jesus that not only are we to be an influence, but that we're to be a light, we're to give our testimony, we're to use our testimony. And so once again, your pastor wants to encourage you to use your testimony, your redemption story on social media. We got a lot of things that are kind of inhibiting us from doing, I mean, you know, I don't know about you know, people wanting strangers to come knocking on their door sharing the gospel right now. But they'll flick that computer on, won't they? They'll turn their phones on. They'll check Facebook. They'll go to a website. They'll go to YouTube. Are they hearing from you? Are they being influenced by you? Are they hearing your testimony? 
Friend, there's no excuse. And that's what the goal was, is that we don't want to, we want to provide zero excuses. If you want to use that social media for that platform, you just let me know, and we'll arrange the rest of it. Okay? Let me pray for you. Father in heaven, we praise you and we thank you so much that you even want us to be an influence at all. But we thank you that you want us to use our testimony at all. Lord, we thank you for the story that we have. It's all because of you.